0: So uh, we're going to do uh, a little sleuth for some proof that Jesus Christ is alive. And so we're going to do some CSI today, some, uh, not some crime scene investigation, but some Christ scene investigation. We're going to go digging uh, to look for some proof that Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is alive and well. We're going to look for his particular unique fingerprint pattern. Whoever he touches Jesus changes. And so we're going to look for some proof. I'm going to ask you uh, to to join me, Pastor Sherlock Holmes, as we go doing some crime scene investigation. I've got my Sherlock Holmes hat. I've got my pipe. And I've got my magnifying glass. And I look like an idiot, don't I? More, More giveaways, more giveaways. Here you go. Here you go. I'm not gonna throw the pipe. I'm afraid what you might do with that. So uh, is there evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Can we take the magnifying glass and find evidence of his fingerprint on the lives of people? So I wanna do some CSI from yesterday. I wanna go back to the original Christ scene investigation. And I wanna start in 1 Corinthians 15. I wanna read a passage for you. Uh, Paul the Apostle wrote this to the Corinthian church back in around 53 AD, okay? About 20 years after the death of Christ. And here's what he wrote. "'For what I received I passed on to you "'as of first importance, "'that Christ died for our sins "'according to the Scriptures, "'that he was buried, "'that he was raised on the third day "'according to the Scriptures, "'and that he appeared to Cephas,' "'that's Peter,' And then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul writes, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians and saying, If you don't believe in the resurrection, that Jesus died and rose again, there are 500 people who witnessed it at the same time. Most of them are still alive, so you can go check out the story. Now, who in the world would make up a lie that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, especially at this time in 50 or so AD, when if you claim that Jesus rose from the dead, you could be persecuted or killed? Christians were at the time fed to lions. They were beheaded. They were killed with the spear. They were thrown in prison. They were exiled from their homes. There was a Roman emperor at the time named Nero. He was sick and twisted and hated Christians. So he was known for actually uh, putting Christians in his garden and lighting them on fire to light up his garden party. That's how sick and twisted he was. So if you're a Christian and you claim that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, you could get yourself killed, okay? So why would you lie about that if it wasn't true? The other thing is, how do you get 500 people to conspire and make up a story that's a lie? Imagine, for example, that I told you when you leave here, Uh, Go out in Battle Creek and tell everybody you know that you saw uh, Pastor Lenny levitate six feet off the ground while he was preaching. I imagine that two, three, four of you with integrity would probably leak the truth. In fact, that lie wouldn't last for an hour. It seems more likely that 500 people actually did see Jesus after he died and rose again than that he didn't. The fingerprint of Christ is all over that story. Well, let's look at another example. Do some CSI with Thomas, doubting Thomas. Thomas went from being a skeptic to a believer who was martyred to death for his faith in Christ. I like Thomas a lot because, like me, he's a skeptic. I'm a skeptic. I'm a cynic. I'm not going to take anybody's word for anything. I'm going to go do my own digging. If it sounds too good to be true it's probably too good to be true. That's Thomas. He wouldn't take the disciples' word for it about Jesus rising from the dead. He had to do his own investigating. John 20, verse 24. I love Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. This is after Jesus died and rose again. But Thomas said to them, unless I see The nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side i will not believe a week later the disciples were in the house again and thomas was with them and though the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you and then jesus said to thomas put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, Thomas must have done some sufficient investigating to see if Jesus really did rise from the dead because he goes all in. In fact, Thomas gave his life because he would not shut up about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was a missionary to India. And while he was preaching about the resurrection of Christ, he was killed with a spear. The fingerprint of Christ is all over Thomas. Skeptic to believer, to martyr. Let me tell you about Peter, another great example of this. You'll recall that Peter was a coward in the Gospels. I mean, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, uh, you discover that Peter did not have a whole lot of stability. He was up and down, up and down, up and down. And one of the last scenes we get from Peter in the Gospels is him denying that he even knows Jesus three times. And to a girl, a young girl. He was cowardly or maybe he was just disappointed that Jesus wasn't who he thought he would be dying on the cross. But then just 40 days later, that cowardly Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus three times to a girl is 40 days later standing before thousands of Jewish men in Acts chapter two, verse 36. And he boldly says, let all Israel, all Jews be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, by the way, Lord and Messiah. How do you explain Peter's transformation that rapidly from a coward who wouldn't admit his friendship with Jesus to a little girl to a courageous one who would stand before thousands of Jews who could kill him while he told them they were responsible for the crucifixion? How do you explain that? Did Peter go to intensive therapy for like, you know, 40 days, twice a day to have a personality change like that? Was it beer muscles? I don't think so. I think Peter saw the risen Jesus Christ and that'll change a person. If you see somebody dead come back to life, it'll do something to you. It'll change your personality. All of the apostles, every one of them, experienced a radical transformation. They went from being fickle and faithless when Jesus was crucified to, in time, being fearless and faithful. All of them, all of them, except for Judas, all of them experienced either death or persecution because they wouldn't shut up about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would guys die for a lie? Not those guys. But that was a long, long time ago in a far away place. Then and there. Does the fingerprint of Christ still show up here and now? I mean, is there evidence that Jesus Christ is alive and well in 21st century uh, global uh, ministry? I'd say there is. I've already told you that I'm a, a bit of a skeptic like Thomas, So. Even though I had people throughout my life tell me that Jesus is alive and Jesus wants a relationship with me and Jesus loves me and all that, I didn't really buy it. I'm like Thomas. I've got to do my own poking. And I did. Let me give you some backstory. Here's the before picture of my life as quickly and as uh, honestly as I can describe it. As As a young man, I was a high school dropout Uh, Had no ambition for college and career. I was battling an addiction to alcohol and was losing badly. My parents uh, weren't there for me because they were battling their own demons of addiction. And I remember at that point in my life as a young man, uh, just resigning myself to a meaningless, hopeless existence. You ever been there? I mean, you don't you don't write it on a piece of paper, and you don't say it out loud, and it might even be in your subconscious, but you conclude uh, that you'll stop hoping for something better because you're tired of being disappointed. Ever been there? And so you just stop hoping. You just resign yourself to a hopeless existence. I did. And I remember going to sleep, playing my music as loud as I could to to sort of quiet the demons in my head. <clears throat> I was, I was a mess. And, I, and when you stop hoping, you kind of have a death wish, and I did. And I remember when I was drunk especially, uh, I didn't have the guts to, or the, maybe the stupidity to commit suicide, but I, I was living on the edge. And when I was drunk especially, I would start fights that I couldn't finish. And I remember on one occasion, there was a, a kid holding a gun to my head while I was mocking him. Another time, a, another kid pulled a knife, put it, put it to my temple, and eventually, eventually, this caught up with me, and I did get stabbed, uh, collapsed my lung, I almost died in a drunken fight that I started but couldn't finish. I was dead. Now I was hopeless, I was desperate. I had nothing at all going for me, nothing. That's a pretty accurate before picture. It's quick, but it's accurate. <clears throat> then something happened. The resurrected Christ resurrected me. He did it through his people. But again, I had to do my own touching and feeling and poking, and, and it happened. And all I could say, all I can't really, can't really quantify it. All I can say is that there was hope back in the deflated sails of my soul that I had not experienced ever in my life. I came back to life. And I didn't need loud music at night to put me to sleep. I went to bed with peace, and I woke up with purpose that I never imagined possible. I stopped starting fights when I was drunk, I stopped drinking and I started loving people I didn't like. I went from self-centered and self-protective to giving my life and service to others to see them set free by the resurrected Christ. It was, it was beautiful and it was miraculous and the people in my life who knew the before and after picture really well, my family and friends, most of them agnostic, would say that my life was a miraculous transformation. And it wasn't a program that did it for me. It wasn't a self-help book that I read. It wasn't sort of rugged human determination that did it. I was dead. I was dead. I had nothing on my resume, nothing but Jesus. (laughs) And he was enough. If you've got everything in life going for you but Jesus, you've got nothing, and you know it. And if you've got nothing... (laughs) But Jesus, you've got everything, and you know it. Well, I'm still not all that in a bag of chips, but you should have seen me before the fingerprint of Christ touched my life. Can I tell you about a few other evidences that Jesus Christ is alive and well today? You're supposed to say, yes, I gave you peeps, okay, work with me here. When I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, two, uh, two people came into the life of, of the church, Dave and Melinda, both of them, hardcore drug addicts for a long time. And when they came into the life of the church, they were new in their recovery and up and down, and you could see uh, the newness of their recovery. Like they still had the effects on their face of hardcore addiction. Well, they met in our recovery ministry, Dave and Melinda, and they came to me and they said, Pastor, we want you to marry us. And I thought, oh man, I don't want to marry them. They're not good for each other. So I agreed at least to do uh, some premarital counseling with them. And in my first session, I remember they were in my office sitting across from me and they just still looked ragged from addiction. And I remember thinking to myself, they are never going to make it. Two addicts together in marriage who are new in their recovery, they're dead. This marriage is gonna fail before it starts. Big faith guy that I am. Well, we went through counseling, I married them, and there they are today. The light of Jesus Christ in their eyes. They have been clean and sober for decades. They have these beautiful kids. And nothing could have done it for them but the risen Jesus Christ, the resurrected King resurrected them. They're still not done yet. Go back to that picture, they're not done yet. Clearly they have issues, they're Dallas Cowboy fans, but God who began a good work in them will be faithful to complete it. Another story, her name's Dorothy. Uh, 80 year old woman, about 85 pounds. She came uh, uh, to the church every Sunday to teach kids and she always wanted to do special music. She always wanted to sing His Eyes on the Sparrow. The only problem is her voice sounded like the cry of a cat being tortured, and I didn't have the guts to tell her, so I just let her do special music every Sunday pretty much. But one of the things she did too is she would stand at the door of the church. We had one door, not like Woodland. We had 20 entrances, but there was just one door, and every Sunday she would show up and stand at that front door, and everybody who came in, she would greet them with a hug and a kiss. And I'm pretty sure that people came more for her hug and kiss than for my sermons. I know I did. (laughs) She did not fail to miss anybody. I mean, she just got everybody. And what a lot of people didn't know is that Dorothy had uh, an abusive husband, husband who was verbally and physically abusive. He had dementia, so he was going downhill and he was a rather large man. And again, she was only 85 pounds. And almost every Sunday he would block the door so she couldn't get out to go to church. He He was jealous of church, didn't want her to go to church. And so he would grab her sometimes harshly and, and squeeze her. And she would show up, I would see, with bruises on her little arms. She had to fight like hell to get to church almost every week. And despite all the chaos in her life, every Sunday she showed up and loved on people like each one was the most important person in the world. How do you explain that kind of love when so much was going on in her life? The resurrected Christ resurrected Dorothy. The fingerprint of Christ is all over her life. I was a hospice chaplain for a bit. Hospice is for people who are close to death. And uh, one of the wings of the hospital was for hospice patients. So I showed up one day for my shift as chaplain. And the nurse said, you need to go see Joy. She's got hours left to live. Her uh, kids and grandkids and husband are at, in the room. You just need to go in. It's, 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 it's bad. So I walked in, and it was bad. The first thing that, m- that caught my eye, the doctor was in there looking around. The first thing I saw when I opened the door was a, a cancerous tumor the size of a football protruding from Joy's abdomen. The darkness of death, it was ugly. And then I looked at Joy's face. And Joy was beaming with joy. (laughs) So I looked at her face, and there's life and Joy, and I looked at her tumor, and there's death and ugliness and darkness, and looked back at her face, and there was incongruence between the two. And then I heard Joy, with, again, hours left to live, and that cancerous tumor coming out of her abdomen, tell her, husband and kids and grandkids and me about the goodness of God, the resurrected Christ who was present in that room giving her peace and joy in the midst of her pain. She ministered to us (laughs) while we were falling apart and coming undone. How do you explain that kind of joy in the midst of that kind of pain? The fingerprint of Christ was all over that room. Jesus is alive. He's alive. And I can tell you story after story after story. I won't. How about you? Has the resurrected Christ began to resurrect you? Are you alive? Do you want to be? Do you want to be found? By the love of God in Christ, who came to sniff you out and seek you out because he loves you. Do you want to be found? We've been praying that every one of you this morning would get a glimpse of the risen Christ as soon as you drove into our church and got in the parking lot, that our Connect team would communicate the risen love of Christ for you. and uh, That the music would communicate and give you a glimpse of the risen Christ, that the message might give you a glimpse of Christ, and those being baptized will give you a glimpse of Christ. But at the end of the day, no matter how compelling the evidence, um, you need to see more, right? You need to touch and probe and seek for yourself. Have you let Jesus Christ find you? I'm not suggesting that if you put your faith in Christ, your life will become like a country music song played backwards, you know, you'll, you'll get the house back, the lover back, the dog back, and the truck back, or if you're Pastor Thane, the Toyota Prius back. Um, <laughs> what I am suggesting is that if you let Christ into your life, he will be with you in every circumstance, and you will never, ever have to navigate the ups and downs of life alone ever again. Amen. But you have to want to be found stop hiding from the God who loves you and come out come out wherever you are that's a hiding story last story and then we're done I was 10 and I was hiding well first my mom took me and my older sister for back-to-school clothes shopping The name of the store she took us to in Philadelphia was the House of Bargains. That's where she took us to go back to school shopping. No kid wanted to be seen by other kids in the House of Bargains, so we never made eye contact with other kids whose parents tortured them by taking them there. So we're in the House of Bargains, never making eye contact with other kids because who wants to see other kids at the House of Bargains? To make matters worse, not only did my mom take me to the House of Bargains, she took me to the Husky section of the House of Bargains. That's what they called it. You can get arrested for saying Husky Section today. So I had to go and shop at the Husky Section because I was a bit plump as a boy. So we're shopping in there, and I was again humiliated. So I decided to make my mom pay. Don't get mad, get even. I'll I'll make it so she never takes me to the House of Bargains Husky Section again. So I decided to hide from her. I found this big coat rack. Uh, and I hid in the coats, I'll fix her. 15 minutes pass and I'm thinking, my mom must be going crazy, this is awesome. She deserves what she's getting. 20 minutes in and now I'm crying because I think that my mom actually left me in the house of bargains and just took off. She had enough of me, she's done with me. I was a handful of a kid, as you might have guessed. And so I just come rushing out from behind the uh, coats, snotty, teary-eyed mess, and I'm looking all over for my mom. And they shouldn't have called this place a house of bargains, because it was huge. It should have been called a mansion of bargains. I was running all over the place. Mom, Mom, where you at, Mom? I didn't see her. She left me. She abandoned me. She had enough of me. I started to ask all kinds of philosophical questions in that moment. Why would you let this happen to me, God? Why do bad things happen to husky people, you know? (laughs) And then uh, down a really long aisle, I saw my mom. And we started to run to greet each other. The music from the Chariots of Fire started to play. (laughs) And we greeted, and and she was hugging me, and I was, I was happy, but I was crying, and, and, and she was laughing because I was crying. And I said, Mom, why are you laughing? I'm crying. You left me in the house of bargains. Why would you do that? She, she laughed again. She said, she called me Butchie. I don't know why. Don't call me Butchie. She called me Butchie. She said, Butchie, I would never leave you. I didn't leave the store. I was looking for you the whole time. I was in the house of bargains with you the whole time. I will never leave you. I was hiding from her. She wasn't hiding from me. If you've not experienced the resurrected Christ resurrecting you, it's not because he's hiding from you. It's because you're hiding from him. Come out, come out, wherever you are. I don't know what house of bargains you're in today, an illness you can't cure, a relationship you can't fix, a depression you can't escape, a job you can't stand, a loneliness you can't remedy, I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus Christ has not abandoned you. He's been seeking you out every day of your life whether you know it or not. The beauty of Jesus is he has willingly jumped into the hellish house of bargains of the human condition with us to save us and find us because he loves us. That's who Jesus is. And all you have to do, because he's done it all, all you have to do is come out from the coat rack (laughs) and say, here I am. And his love will hit the bullseye of your heart and your life will become more worth living than it's ever been. And I have nothing to gain by telling you that. Like Jesus does not give me a finder's fee or a friend recommendation, $50 gift card but I want you to experience the life that I have found in Christ because it's real. And it's full of hope and purpose and meaning. So here's how you come out from the coat rack. Here's the first step. You say a prayer. So I want to lead you in a prayer. If you've never come out from the coat rack and said, here I am, Jesus, find me. I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you say this prayer and you mean it in your heart, we're not gonna ask you to do anything or step up or get out, you know, embarrass you or anything. But if you mean it in your heart, you will never be the same again. Never be the same again. I bet you a thousand peeps on it. You will never be the same again. Let's pray together. (sighs) Say this prayer if you can in your heart, if you mean it. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you i want you i believe that you are alive and well and that in you is meaning and purpose and joy and peace no matter what circumstances i'm going through forgive me for the shame of my past, forgive me for my struggles in the present, forgive me for my anxiety and fear about the future. Jesus Christ, come in and make me whole. Put the Humpty Dumpty life I'm living back together again. Resurrected King Jesus, resurrect me, amen.